0: Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you're listening to Coffin Talk, exit interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week from San Francisco, California, is my special guest, Lisa Ofinger. I should say Dr. Lisa Ofinger. Hi, Lisa. How are you?
1: Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to have you on. You're my favorite child psychologist that I personally know. (laughs) How does that sound?
1: (laughs) That sounds fantastic. I love it.
0: Cool. And um, so one of the themes that I do on this show is besides just talking about the perceptions of morality and life and death is i like to bring your occupation in and your life experience so that's why i mentioned your career is that i think since you work with children and especially children who are sometimes considered uh not on the same pace as other children i'm I'm curious to hear how that has affected you and your uh, philosophies on life so um let's start with just a little bit of a getting to know you kind of question uh how old are you? Uh, where did you grow up? And what generation do you think you're from?
1: Yeah, good good, good intro questions. I am 37. I'm almost 38. I'll be 38 in a couple weeks. I grew up in Connecticut. I I think I'm on my generation. I think I'm on the cusp, right? I'm a Gen X millennial cusper. In my heart, I feel more like a Gen Xer, but I think uh, on paper, I'm, I'm a millennial.
0: And I like that you sounded a little... Uh, unconfident about how old you are, because that happens as we get older. But then you also uh, ended the state of Connecticut with a question mark. You're like, and I'm from Connecticut. Oh. <laughs> but so you grew up in the East Coast. But then after uh, I believe you got your PhD from Yale, is that correct? Columbia. Oh, Columbia. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, no, no worries.
0: Well, that'll make my brother and my father very happy because they both are Columbia graduates. Uh, Yeah. So, anyway, I was just trying to catch everyone up that you um, then moved all the way across the country to San Francisco, where you now work and you are married and you are having your second kid in what, like a week?
1: Yes, one week, very soon.
0: Awesome. And if you're labor, if you go into labor during this podcast, um, it'll just help me get more subscribers. So, uh, please don't let that (laughs) hold you back. So, okay, as a soon-to-be mother of two and a happily married woman and a child psychologist, I would just like to ask you, what the heck do you think happens when you die?
1: Yeah, I, I knew this question was coming, and I spent some time thinking about how I was going to answer it, and it's it's hard. So, I mean, it's kind of where I, I do not, I don't know, is, is where I would start with. I don't imagine myself or pretend to be an expert on anything. There are so many things in this world that I do not understand and do not even, even know how to start studying or making sense of. So when I think about what happens after we die, I I, I honestly don't know. Uh I have some some ways that I lean. Uh but I but I'm like I said, I, I'm not I I could be I'm open. I'm open to understanding and exploring.
0: Well let's talk about that leaning. Uh what makes you lean?
1: yeah so I think you touched on it a bit when you said when you named the psychology piece and of course these pieces influence each other right about who I am as a person, I'm drawn to the field of psychology and then kind of what psychology brings to my life shapes who I am as an individual and shapes my personal belief system. so in you know as a psychologist, I spend a lot of time studying things that can't be seen, can't be measured uh, things like you know some psychology buzzwords, right? Like the unconscious, emotions, intuition, all these pieces, I I believe are very important to human experience, right? And, and just as important as all the things that you can measure, like uh, intelligence or athletic ability, all these pieces that are much harder to measure are just as important to human experience. So I never want to pretend that something that I don't know the answer to or don't exactly understand or don't, I can't measure, isn't very important or isn't as important as the other pieces right so i I kind of like put death in that kind of same bucket of something that i don't necessarily definitely don't understand at all and um i i that doesn't mean mean that it's not uh, that it's not just as important right
0: well, I'm glad that you brought this incredibly mindful, open-minded uh, attitude into the 2021 era of San Francisco, California. I'm sure it's uh, a total walk in the park for you. Uh, by the way, for our audience listening, I'm from there. So I'm speaking of where I am from. Um, wow. I, I love that answer. And I loved what you said about, uh, you know, paying equal attention to what we can and cannot measure. Uh, do you remember if at any certain like age, you had an experience that struck you related to death, like a relative or someone or something like that, a near death?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, when I I was younger, I I lost my grandparents, like many of us do. Um, You know, I've kind of always been, I would say, in my younger age, uh, a little bit fearful of death. Probably a lot of fear-filled stuff. what's gonna happen? What's on the other side? Where do people go? Is there anything here? Is there anything there? Um, and as I've gotten older i think I think it shifted a bit it shifted a bit for a couple of reasons right like like one is I've come to a different level of maybe grounding in in reality, right uh it's not a question of if I'm going to die, It's I'm going to die and I don't know what's going to happen. And that is my reality. And I feel a bit more grounded in that as I get older, I still have, of course, some fears of death and, and the unknown and, and wondering what's going to happen. But, but I think that, yes, I think that as I've gotten older, it's shifted a bit.
0: Yeah. And that's actually, uh, you're the first person I've heard specifically say that like, you just said like, I'm going to die in like a very like matter of fact, interesting way that I think is, is a part of the aging process for some, but not all people. So actually let's, let's get a little bit out of the ethereal and into the grounded world of psychology. What would you say in your experience of just studying courses, reading, and then also working with real people, would you say the fear of death is like very prominent or somewhat prominent? And I guess I'll even just say in the Western world, you know, cause that's what you're familiar with.
1: Yeah, so in the in the fields of psychology, David Kessler is somebody that I look to when I'm thinking about topics of grief and death and dying. David Kessler worked with Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in developing the five stages of grief. Many are probably familiar with them: denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And he's somebody who works in the medical field, and his whole kind of focus area is around palliative care and end of life and supporting families to grief. And he has this book that I love and find incredibly hopeful and comforting. It's called visions trips in crowded Rooms, And it is a collection of essays and stories. So one of the things that's super common, like a super common thing to see a vision is to have visits from parents (laughs) uh, who've passed, right? And it's, I think it's really beautiful. I, I don't know if this necessarily means that it's proof that there's another side or that there's more to to, to death than if there's more than nothingness on the other side. But it's really a beautiful thought to me to think about if, what if the same people who shepherd us into this life are there on the other side waiting for us to shepherd us into the next? And he talks about a lot about in this book and in other parts of his work right about this this concept that towards the end of life the veil between this side and the other side is lowered for some and you could actually see so it's, it's super common to see uh visions of people who have died maternal figures paternal figures your parents super common vision also common to have a premonition about going on a trip people who are dying on their deathbed, often talk about packing their bags, getting their tickets ready, really common thing, that theme that happens a bit, And then crowded rooms of people coming to, to see them. Like they, they talk about the room feeling very, very crowded, even if there's just maybe one person in there. Uh, he talks about this a bit because, he, you know, he says that, you know, we can do all we can to comfort the dying. We can give them anti anxiety medication. We can try to you know, ease their pain and suffering. But what he finds is that these visions that people experience are incredibly powerful and help people feel much better about
0: passing so to what level is this just something that comforts you versus its anecdotal? Like how do you particularly use these examples?
1: For me, it's a couple different things, right? i I definitely find comfort in that. I find comfort in thinking about, especially loved ones who've passed on. i I sometimes find myself, you know, I often find myself thinking about them, but often worrying about them. Like, I hope they're okay. I hope whatever is on the other side is okay. I hope their last moments on this earth were as comfortable and as okay as they could be. And wouldn't it be nice if there was a way that we were shepherded to another side? So there, there's a way that that is very comforting and hopeful to me. I, I'm comforted because I really respect David Kessler and I think of him as a medical professional. So somebody who is has their head in, you know, you know he's, a, he's a grief counselor so he's definitely a little bit of a hybrid but also somebody who's very much in the hard sciences and working in medical settings and palliative care who finds who finds this um who finds stories like this compelling enough and evidence-based enough that he would publish it and attach his name to it that makes me feel comforted as well that there's somebody who is in the hard sciences who also has this really strong belief and hope in a natural life, hope that there's more. And then, it, yeah, and then on the other side, it's, it's kind of where I, where I live with, where I kind of live with it is, you know, even if this isn't something that I, that is real or, or, you know, real in the sense that there are people going to be waiting to shepherd me to the other side, I'm not sure it matters. I think it gives me comfort and hope and, and... Uh, yeah grounding right now that that's that's
0: enough well and actually that's perfect because that segues into the hard-hitting questions i have to ask you now and i have two of them and they are actually literally in my opinion not softballs so i'm warning you ahead of time um my first question which is particularly sinister and mean is what would happen to a child who passes then because the people who shepherded them into this world are still here is that covered in the book at all
1: yeah, I don't, I don't remember that specific piece, but if if I was gonna if I was gonna conjecture what would kind of fit with the same thematic thinking, is that maybe they're not specifically parents, right? They're just maternal figures or people who are. If we think of ourselves as people who are connecting the generation before us and the generation after us, if we think of ourselves as, as, as not as individualistic, but we're we're the link between the our family members our ancestors that come before and after then if a child passes and their parents are not on the other side to shepherd them there's somebody else who's part of the link who i would imagine i project if this is you know something that is we want to kind of stay in this theme of what would happen that's what i would
0: conjecture yeah well and i'm asking I mean, look, like to be full disclosure, honest, you're expecting your second kid in a week. I'm expecting my second kid in a month. And this is the worst subject, most taboo subject on earth. So I know you well enough to know that we can talk about it. But I think for our listening audience, it might be an opportunity to hear people talk about it, which is like safer. And so, and and so what I'm trying to get into is like this idea of What I would consider to be, because what you said was very comforting, but it wouldn't comfort me if I was faced with this idea that like a child comes into the world knows two familiar faces, aka their parents, they make it to like maybe three or four, they know their grandparents, and then they pass. But meanwhile, every person they loved when they were here isn't there on the other side. Um,
1: I think that if parents are not available to to shepherd someone into the other side, right? And I'm not sure it has to be biological parents I'm not sure right I I guess in my mind it can be maternal figures paternal figures who are people that that support us for you know and and for when I think about a young person who maybe didn't develop all the relationships that they could have possibly developed right that there are others like I I would think that if I had a child pass that my grandmother would be there to help them to, to somebody somebody from me would be there to to support them in coming to the other side. Somebody would step up, right? Somebody who loves me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm not incorrect then that you do really believe in like kind of a soul and like a connectivity. I mean, you already did literally say that like, you know, it's all part of like a continuum, but you, it sounds like you really do believe that, that we're somehow connected beyond just a literal blood relationship.
1: I do. Oh, I do that. I believe that. Absolutely. That there's yep, that there's ways that we are connected.
0: Well, then your husband, who's my childhood best friend from since I was like I think five or six, um, w- when you met him, did you feel like a supernatural connection?
1: You know, there's like a there's a strange coincidence actually. Um, my my I was very close with my grandmother, and she passed away soon before I met Dustin, and she and Dustin have the same birthday. <laughs> And I mean, this is like, you know, I, I understand that others may not think this means anything, right? There's people have the same birthdays all the time, but they're also both left-handed. And I know that both those things are just coincidence and lots of people have the same birthdays and people can often can be left-handed. But I always kind of took something like that as a, as a sign, a little bit of a sign that, uh, I don't know what the sign is, <laughs> but that may be, you know, just a sign from,
0: my grandmother from the other side. I'm uh, I'm more than with you. And I had a very close friend from childhood die and a month before he died. He said, I'll try to send you the perfect woman before I die, but she's going to be Jewish. And I was like, ah, you know, it's not really my thing. And I'm Jewish, by the way, just for people who are dying to cancel me. Um, and <laughs> and a month later, I met Alana, my wife, who's, you know, recording this podcast with me and uh, definitely the love of my life. So it's, I, I don't care what people say and how skeptical people get. I think we... I believe every human has one or two, quote unquote, coincidences that they either do or do not acknowledge as a sign of something more than this. That's the most I'll be ever talking about my philosophy on this podcast, but I would definitely say your story immediately brought me to that.
1: And, and, and so it's not real, right? Like, what if I, what if that's not real? It's just a weird coincidence. Like, okay, that's fine. But it's still meaningful to me, right?
0: Ah, great point, yeah. And actually that's what I wanted to get at with like psychology is kind of, and that's why I asked that horrible, horrible question about children's uh, children dying, because even though it's offensive and it hurts people's feelings, it's not only does it happen, but the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, what do you think about like the human experience then? Do you think there's like a point to this, this quote unquote game that we go through? Yeah,
1: so I, I do. I mean, I, do I know what the meaning of life is? I don't i also think though that death is what gives life meaning if we had a limited time to do whatever we wanted to do what would we do or <laughs> like what would we do anything would anything have any type of meaning like the pressure of knowing that everything is fleeting you only have this moment once that we're all going we're not all that many of us are going to grow old that all of us are going to die that fleetingness is what makes life for me meaningful I don't know if it, it makes it, makes it, it makes it so that there's a reason to go and think about relationships differently, to think about how we interact with each other, to think about, oh, this, I need to resolve this in this way because I'm, I actually don't have forever. And if this is an important thing for me to do, I need to do it because it's going to be over.
0: Yes. I, that totally makes sense. I actually once had this like weird thought experiment that, uh, the creator who is infinite was so bored that they created us to watch us not be bored with a limited creation. And that's like their way of killing time because I can't imagine what it's like to be anything that's permanent. It just, it's beyond my comprehension. And that's why I'm obsessed with this subject. Yeah. So let's, let's move into a little bit of like practicality. Cause I want to use, uh, your actual job, like to help our listeners a little bit. Cause I think you have an insight into like something a lot of us don't see, which is the struggles of children who are maybe dealing with some of this. So how often in your work with children does the subject of death come up? Does like this actual subject come up?
1: Well, all the time. I mean, maybe, maybe it doesn't look like the subject of death, but I mean, grief and loss are Of course, part of the human experience, but it's also a big part of what I do in psychology. Working with all different types of grief.
0: So, tell me a little bit more. Like, uh, I know you have a fascinating take on this, and I'm trying to get it from you. So, I'm trying to take a shortcut and just tell you, like, what What do you think our listeners would be dying to know that you're dying to share? Meaning, like, something that would help them? Because I do. I think grief is like a huge issue, um, whether it's for someone who literally died or who has left your life. You know, like a, you can grieve for an ex, like someone who leaves you and stuff like that. So when you're working with children and you went out of school and you're just like, okay, I'm now officially in the field. I'm actually doing this. What were some of the bigger surprises for you? Things that textbooks couldn't prepare you for? Things that lectures and tests didn't prepare you for?
1: Yeah. So so one of the things that I think is, you know, really important to think about with kids is that kids don't always have the language to express grief and sadness and loss, right? So yes, uh, I spend a lot of time, a lot of my work is with kids who've experienced pretty significant trauma, whether that's um, grief and loss, whether that's community violence, whether that's other type of traumatic experiences, that's a big part of the work that I do. And oftentimes it can be misperceived, right? Where you can think about, especially, people who don't maybe have the same type of understanding of somebody's history or what they're going through. It could be easily misunderstood, right? Like as kids that are, are bad or they have ADHD or they're disrespectful or they're rude. Or, and I, I think it's really easy to uh, split off some of these, you know, these, it's, it's easier to, to kind of think, I think it's easier to see kids as maybe for some, for some, it may be easier to see kids as needing to be controlled or needing to be get, have better manners than it is to see kids who are sad. I think seeing kids who are very sad is, is a hard thing to, for adults to perceive. I think in general, we have this really idealized version of what childhood is <laughs> and this romanticized childhood, right? And I think it's very easy for people to forget, adults to forget that being a kid is actually quite hard. <laughs>
0: I actually never forgot it, and I always have lived with that. Like I just, I thought my worst part of my life by far was my childhood. And and for the record, my parents listened to all of these. It has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just I didn't like being confused.
1: That's right, and and kind of having a lot of things completely out of your control, and not having a lot of say over what you you do, and and not having, like you said, maybe the confusion, right? Kind of the the process of figuring things out is really hard. For, we're all doing this at different stages, right? It's not that this stops with childhood, but I guess I think when I'm thinking about my work, I'm thinking about, I spend a lot of time working with teenagers, right? And there's this the, this constant tension between dependency and autonomy, right? Like, I, I be, this, this feeling of being stuck in the middle. I'm, I'm a child because there's all these things that I can and cannot do. And then there's, uh, I'm also expected to act at my age and grow up and, you know, and I, I think that that tension is, is real, and I think when kids who are experienced a uh, pretty significant loss who are maybe, um, have had, you know, have had experience with death have had people who are close to them past who have been in some sort of traumatic circumstances where they're managing a uh, grief, death and dying. It, it, it's, it's even harder. And it's also hard to maybe it can be hard for adults to, to see kids as being so sad.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Like the, the actions of a, a person, not just a child, sometimes don't reflect the inner struggle and what's preceding that. And I think that's a good takeaway. Uh, much more specifically, and this will probably be one of the last questions I ask you, what, um, let me let me really try to think of a concise way to ask this. Um, why, what do you tell a child when they ask, what's the point of life or why am I going through this or who cares? Or like, like, what do you, what do you tell a child when they ask you the kind of question that if you were to be honest, you'd probably just say, yeah, I hear you.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think I touched on this, We touched on this a little bit at the beginning, right? Being grounded in reality is really important. So I, it's really important for healing. It's really important for acceptance. It's really important for a therapeutic relationship, right, or a clinical relationship or the work. So it can be really easy to say to kids, it, it may, the pull might be right if someone says, Well, what's the meaning of this? Well, there's so much meaning to life. Well, there's blah, 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 blah. And actually, what I think is more, can be more helpful is when somebody reflects what's really there, right? So, yeah, I mean, it might feel like, it, Oh, it sounds like you said, it sounds like, you wonder if there's a meaning to this. What do you think the meaning is? I don't know what the meaning is, right? And I, I guess I would, for me, I'd ground in my own reality, my own, my own truth is I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on this journey with you. I'm here to explore with you. I'm not here to, to pretend things are different than they are. There's also sometimes a, a pull, right? Like, oh, you know, I, I, oh, I wish your, your, you know, I wish your grandmother didn't die. But not leaving it there. I wish she didn't die, but she did. And that's really sad. <laughs> like you know, it, it could be like you can get a little bit lost in the in the fantasy, but then helping people really come back to reality is more healing than getting than getting stuck in the what if I wish this nope, yep, I, I you do wish. I, I wish your grandmother gonna learn to die. But she did and that's really sad and you know, we're gonna have to <laughs> how can you go on or what can you do about that? So so I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, and that's really Honestly, I think the kind of the struggle everyone has is anyone who is struggling is struggling with just exactly that. How do I make this all worth it? Because it doesn't feel like it's worth it right now. So I guess my last question for you then, since you work with teenagers and children and America would love to know this, are the kids going to be okay?
1: Oh, in the pandemic, <laughs> in our current life, in our culture, with climate change, what?
0: <laughs> I, I don't think there's a better answer than just to ask a bunch of questions to that because it was <laughs> it's an impossible question. But um, no, Lisa, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic interview. Um, I'm really happy that you are able to proudly and loudly own your perceptions and your your opinions because it's cool because you work in a strict community. And I think you have like not out there philosophies at all, but you're very open-minded. And it's been a pleasure to hear you open your mind. So thank you so much.
1: Of course, this has been great. This has been really fun for me, and I'm glad to to have this conversation with you. And I do think the kids are going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. We're going to get through it. We're going to do what we need to do.
0: Awesome. And on that note, thank you so much for adding another nail to the coffin. Once again, my name is Mike Oppenheim, and you have been listening to Coffin Talk, exit interviews with the living, and we will see you soon. Song and I'm walking alone, walking alone.